Welcome to the Pocket Coven Podcast, where magic meets mental health. I'm Amber Lenore, a witch and licensed psychotherapist. I'm Callie Little, a sex educator and emotional support witch, and we're the coven in your pocket. Hello and welcome to the Pocket Coven Podcast, where we are really tired of summer. Am I the only one that is totally tired of the summer? And ready for the dark times. I digress. That's a different podcast episode. I am giving you an intro to Watermoon Farm Part 2, the farm tapes, as I'm calling them these days. This conversation began as Patreon content, so it starts far more informally than we would usually start a public episode. If you're a Patreon member, you know that we're a little messy over on that side of the water, so uh, that vibe is definitely present in this episode. And when we were done recording this content, which was like full length anyway, I looked at Callie and Turner and I said, nope, this is not bonus content. This is just too fucking good. This is so fucking good. And we need to share this with our listeners. The conversation is on coming out. Coming out as gay, as queer, as trans, as differently sexual than heteronormative culture prescribes and coming out as a witch. Turner was really excited to talk about how those processes felt so similar for him. And Callie and I, of course, resonate. Coming out as queer is a massive moment in someone's life. And coming out as a witch is also massive. And both require self-awareness, connection, and community. And that is where our discussion goes. I think it's a beautiful talk. I really do. I love what came out of this, and I think it is needed and encouraging and supportive. And so I hope you enjoy coming out. like we're in a gay bar right now if we're talking about a coming out process. Yeah. Like, I fucking miss gay bars. Oh, my God. Okay. This. Say it in the mic. I'm, I'm going to start sounding more and more gay as the conversation goes on. I'm very excited. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to Hours Later when we have been bullshitting on Turner's patio and stretching like circus therapists. And uh, we're going to talk about gay shit and witch shit. The best shit, honestly. Can't make compost without shit. Nope. (laughs) So, now we can, of course, take this out from me if this is not part you want. But it was a conversation if you were going to be out as a witch on this episode. Yeah. It's, again, it's something that I don't, talk about publicly, which is ironic because I share witchy memes and tarot cards on my Instagram. And of course, um, my family all follows me there and professionals follow me there. Um, But what I have been realizing is how much my coming out as a witch, as a pagan, as a magical practitioner is so similar to my coming out experience as a queer man. 
And it's, it's, it's really like, it makes the hairs on the back of my neck stand up when I, it's almost spooky in a lot of ways. I totally feel that. I, I mean, for me, it was more, I felt more aggressively protective of coming out as queer because, you know, it was what, 2008 and I grew up knowing that that was a thing and it wasn't normalized in my family, but I felt that it was very normal. I always felt okay about it. And so when I kissed a girl for the first time, I was like, everybody, I kissed a girl. I kiss girls now. And coming out as a witch feels way more taboo. And I mean, we could separately talk about coming out as autistic, but that's a whole different bag of stim toys. So I feel you, it's a big deal to come out as any kind of magical practitioner, it's not accepted. Yeah, I mean, when I came out, well, my coming out process, I think I said in the main podcast, it was a decade-long process because I was in seventh grade, so that was 1993, 1994 ish somewhere in there. Um, and then when I graduated college in 2006, that's sort of when I officially came out. So yeah, well over a decade because I did not feel safe. And I also, of course, recognize that I am um, cisgendered. On the gender spectrum, I am pretty close to cisgendered, I would say. And I am white, and so I do have a lot of privilege and a lot of safety. But this was a time when there was no, there were no queer people in my family, in my community, on media, really. I think Queer Eye for the Straight Guy was, you know, and Will and Grace were the two sort of first um, major media events. And I didn't really identify with those representations of gay men. And really, you know, being steeped in toxic masculinity, I just, I did not feel safe coming out. This was a time when opinion wasn't what it was for gay marriage, for gay identity. We were on the cusp of that. This was still a time when there were going to be slurs thrown around on the playground. This was a time, this was before Matthew Shepard, which was a tragic, tragic event. And so, again, coming out as a witch, coming out as a magical practitioner, there were no real examples. There was the craft, there was Sabrina the Teenage Witch, but again, it wasn't safe in a way and it wasn't modeled. And so it's been like a decade. It was a decade for me to go to a place where I was safe coming out as a gay man. And I look back over the past decade of my life and the events that are leading up to coming out as a magical practitioner and there's this excitement there. Like I remember being a baby queer and like the excitement of this thing that I'm discovering and I'm starting to feel that same excitement about coming out as a magical practitioner. I think, you know, as we're building a friendship, sometimes I feel like a dorky teenager wanting to talk to you. And I'm like, maybe I'm sending too many messages. This is the third 
picture of a tarot pull I've sent you in like three days. I love them, <laughs> just to be very clear, but go on. <laughs> like I need to, you know, but that was the same sort of excitement where you start to accept the fact that you're gay. You want to go to the gay bars. You want to go kiss boys. You want to go do gay things. And now as I accept myself as a magical practitioner, I want to go do the magical things. Oh, I love that. And I mean, the consilience between those two things is absolutely, I mean, it is congruent. I mean, those processes definitely mirror each other. And as you two were talking, I was thinking about how much more shame and stigma I felt around coming out as a witch than coming out as a queer woman. I think because generationally it was so cute to be a queer girl. Like it it just Mm -hmm. is like there's so much cis hetero privilege because that paradigm really sexualizes by girls. Right. So Mm -hmm. coming out actually wasn't, I don't even know. It was just like, yeah, fuck girls too. You know, and it just felt like everyone was like, Oh, that's cute for you. You know, I didn't have a whole lot of, pushback, Mm -hmm. you know, and I noticed that gay men have a lot of stigma and trans kids face a lot of stigma. So, you know, I'm just kind of feeling like, wow, I had some privilege there. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to spiritual practice, especially because my background is in social work and case management and like, like I've talked about before, just like really practical shit. I used to talk so much shit for real on people who are like how I identify today, you know, like, oh, that's so dorky to be like, oh, I'm a fucking Wiccan, you know, and that was also symptomatic of, um, you know, just having a perspective that was actually really depressed, like very cynical. And so as I've just leaned into being more of a kid, right, like you were talking about, like taking care of your inner child, as I, as I do that, that makes me more inclined to want to be a spiritual human being. So that whole process has been really, really interesting and also scary. Like, will people take me fucking seriously if they know that I identify as a spiritual person? It's even come up between me and my clients, like that that's who I am and I feel like I'm coming out to them and I wonder if I'll be rejected. I'll wonder if people think I'm going to fucking hack or that I'm not competent or, you know, there's so much stigma that's wrapped up in that. I mean, do you ever feel that? I mean, I assume you do. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting that transitioning from a quote unquote professional, I had an academic job as a librarian and I felt like I had an image I had to project. So Sometimes, you know, it's like when you first start coming out as gay, you find those people that you trust and you tell them and you keep it secret, you know, and then you find, you know, you sort of, you look, you have your gaydar, you have your witch star, you know, and you're like, oh, like I see like, you know, you have a necklace of a crystal or I don't know, like that's, there's so many other examples of what you might pick up on the signs and you sort of, you build a relationship, but you're not going to project it. Now that I'm not in a professional job and I'm a dirty pagan farmer on the land, I can really lean into it. I can also really lean into my queerness too. That's something that I felt like I couldn't do as a professional because it was like burned into me that that is something you keep private. Like 
I remember when I was applying for jobs as a librarian, I had volunteered at Queer Resources and I had it on my resume and people who were very close to me were like, well, maybe don't put that on your resume. Maybe if someone sees that you're queer, they don't want to hire you when you're giving them an opportunity not to hire you. And of course, like, fuck that. If they don't want to work with a gay person, I don't want to work with them. So I'm going to, I'm, you know, going to let people know that I'm gay. Um, but now that I have this freedom of not being a quote unquote professional and having a nine to five and having to worry about employers, like I can really lean into both my queer identity and my magical witch identity. I love your magical gay bear self. It's so, it's, it's so beautiful. And like, you have this like very nice, lovely, masculine voice and way of speaking in your beautiful rainbow dress on your farm. You know, you're speaking to something that I've been noticing lately that's an advantage of being out as a pagan is that you curate who wants to connect with you, like in a professional realm. I have gotten a big influx of clients. I'm so excited. I have a totally full agenda now with therapeutic work. And I keep getting clients that are like, we couldn't find anyone who was pagan inclusive or non-monogamy inclusive or had any level of competency with integrating spirituality with mental health. Like we can't find it anywhere. And I couldn't work with these cool people doing work that was aligned for me if I wasn't clear about who I am. And I see you did the same thing, right? It's a huge deal to be like, I'm going to abandon the identity that I constructed that made me feel really safe and regulated. Like I'm an academic librarian and I'm going to shed that. I mean, what was that coming out process like? Like parting with that part of your identity. That was hard that was hard. That's a whole other conversation for sure. There is a wonderful line of conversation in especially the uh, academic or librarian industry about vocational awe. And I, I wish I could remember the um, scholar who came up with that. But it's, it's sort of a, I think it's kind of a recent thing where librarians take on their vocation so intensely that it becomes their identity and it can be problematic, right? I was, I was steeped in identifying as a librarian. So that was incredibly difficult and something I still struggle with giving up also the security of a job, the security of a paycheck and now we are starting a business and having to, you know, part of being a sustainable farm is sustaining yourself in a capitalist system, which sucks. I'm sorry, we did not even touch on the fact that you're like literally living off the land. Well, I mean, yeah, we are. We, we eat out of our own garden. We're not 100%, you know... We go to the grocery store, you know, we do have a security blanket that we're on that is transitioning us into this new business, but our expenses are like greatly reduced living on the land. But yeah, I I don't want to project the image that like we're a hundred percent self-sufficient. Sure. Sure. I more, I meant, I, I mean, I hadn't even considered the fact that it would have such an incredible economic impact on your life 
I just, I, I feel like that sounds like either I have a ton of privilege or I'm projecting a ton and it's more like, no, this is a very like punk DIY farm. It's very, you, you have done this yourself. I just hadn't considered that, yeah, there, there's no paycheck right now. Yeah. 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 It's wild. We um, are starting a few ventures. I don't want to get into them because we're still in sort of a baby stage with them and developing them and producing them. Um, it's very exciting. Um, we are selling some produce to a local market, which is really exciting. But, you know, going back to the permaculture principle of valuing diversity, we want to have sort of multiple income streams on the farm. So we have some security and it, it can be difficult when you're not... I mean, we're very anti-capitalist. You know, it's a, a value of ours. It's something that we celebrate about ourselves. And then to be like, oh, we got to start a business. And thankfully, I have a wonderful therapist who I was talking to about this who pointed out sort of the Marxist perspective of, well, if you're not taking advantage of someone else's labor mm-hmm. and if you're not exploiting them, it's okay. And we're also trying really hard not to exploit the land. Farming in itself can be a very extractive process. There's the law of return. Like if you're taking from the land, you have to put back. And this farm has been managed pretty ethically uh, in terms of an organic farmer um, for many, many years. And then there's also been a lot of animals and there has been a lot of extraction from this land. And so even though it seems pristine and beautiful, we are seeing where there's a lot of healing that needs to happen. And so it's hard to be on a piece of land and to start a land-based business, but to not decimate it. So that's a whole, but that's like, that's another conversation. I want to get back to some gay shit if that's okay. (laughs) Another like really exciting part of the coming out process, the coming out process I think can be seen as very angsty and emotional, which of course it is. It's a difficult process. But there's also the fun process of figuring out your identity. I think when I was coming out as a little queer kid, um, even in the closet and then coming out after college, part of that process is figuring out what kind of gay, what kind of homo you are, right? Mm -hmm. Obviously, I'm a big dude. I'm hairy. I'm furry. I have a beard. I was embraced by the bear community (laughs) and I fucking love the bear community put me in a bear bar, put me in the Eagle and I'm a pig and shit. Um, (laughs) But there's also even just beyond that, there's so many different levels of sort of queer identity. You see sort of the neoliberal, liberal gays who really cleave to this, you know, to status quo, to capitalist values and, have the six packs and the body and want to sort of be mainstream. And then there's a whole spectrum to the punk anarchist gaze. And I realized through my coming out process, uh, 
how much I love being a nature fag. You know, all I wanted to do was to go out into the woods, go find a river and take my toes off and eat some mushrooms and drop a little acid. And, you know, uh, Jacob and I had this amazing, Jacob, my husband, and I had this amazing experience of going to Rooster Rock uh, in the Columbia River Gorge, which has a nudist beach um, that a lot of gay men tend to frequent and we took uh, I think a tab of acid and it felt like all these woodland creatures running around the woods scampering around and jumping in the water and that just felt like home to me that felt so natural and comfortable and there were so many different body shapes and sizes and no one cared and um, you know it, it that's that's the type of gay that I wanted to be and that is 100% reflected in the type of witch, the type of magical practitioner I want to be. I'm not going to be a high priest or practice high magic in any sort of way. I don't have the discipline for it. Uh, I don't know if I have the constitution, but the folk magic, you know, running around the pagan identity, you know, connecting with land spirits, getting a little dirty, getting a little rough and tumbled out there on the land, like... It's it's it just feels as natural as running around you know a gay beach with a bunch of naked men. I love how you named that. You know, when you start coming out, you're figuring out what kind of gay you are. You're figuring out what kind of witch you are, and it reminded me a little bit of when you were talking about vocational awe. You know, we find these parts of ourselves. And we really have to be 100% in that for a minute. You know, you see, like, especially, I think of teenage queers, and they are suddenly decked out in rainbows, and they are in the GSA, and they are going to every march, and they are so all about being queer. And, like, I absolutely, I got my first pair of skinny jeans right after I kissed a girl for the first time, and I had that Tegan and Sarah hoodie on all the time. And, you know, when you're first really dipping your toes into witchcraft... There's the influx of looking up podcasts, looking at books. And I think it, it is always, like every part of our life is, you know, coming home to ourselves. I just, I love the interconnectedness. I also love thinking about a baby queer, a baby witch, and finding those community spaces. And I remember the first few times I started going to gay bars, which is such, you know, a um, foundation of queer culture in many ways. Yes, it's kind of problematic that it's a bar, but, you know, it sort of is what it is. And it's, in many ways, the first few safe places I think I experienced in that environment. And then also finding spiritual spaces, uh, magical spaces where you sort of felt that same safety and excitement, um, whether it's a bookshop or finding a teacher teaching a class, or I'm, I'm curious if what, like for you, are there safe spaces for your witchcraft, your magical practice? What are those? Teach, teach a baby queer witch. You know, it's, I feel like you read my mind because there was something that I wanted to say, particularly about that. I was thinking about this last night. 
I feel like the witch community and the spirituality community on the whole could really learn a lot from the gay community. I notice, and I'm sure this isn't the case across the board, but I notice that when someone comes out as gay, other gay people want to be in community with you. And I notice that often in which community, what I see a lot of is like, I'm not, mm, no, I don't like the way that you practice or the way that you practice is bullshit or you're just a baby witch and you don't know what the fuck you're talking about and 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 kind of trying to tear each other down. And that's not what actually um, <laughs> creates any kind of change. Like if, if your witchcraft is really just for you, then that makes sense. But if your witchcraft is for the betterment of the community and the collective, well, then you would be excited that other people are interested, even if they're practicing differently, even if they're practicing in an uninformed way. You know, it's not like damage can't be done and it's not important to be informed, but you feel me? I'm just talking about the gatekeeping. It's not really helping us. If we're really trying to uh, live the pagan agenda. Don't we want connectedness? Isn't that the point? Pagans are all fucking communists. It's true. Yes. <laughs> I identify as a pagan communist. <laughs> yes. I mean, we've we've talked about it before on the pod. Like, there's so much gatekeeping in the magical community. And there's a difference between what we, like the two of us white witches, what we do, mm-hmm. and stealing from closed practice. Now that is not to say that I've never made the mistake of buying, you know, a stick of sage. I have made that mistake. And so what did I do? I, I, then when I learned about it, I didn't buy it again. And it kind of, you know, reflects what we were talking about in the episode where you, you know, start something, you probably make some mistakes. So you learn and you continue forward you have to be a beginner always, and that includes with a spiritual practice. And to take it back to permaculture, that's one of the uh, very important principles is accept feedback, you know? And I think for a long time, that's a principle I sort of struggled with understanding, you know, how do you accept feedback? And part of that is by being part of a community. In nature, you're you're part of a community with plants, and the plants sort of tell you, like, "Hey, I'm thirsty. You know, I'm I'm all dried up and shriveled." Or, you know, "Hey, it's time to harvest. If you don't harvest, then I'm going to feed the birds and the bears and whatever other animals coming by to eat the berries." You you learn through observation and you learn through community. I learned so much being part of a queer community. Uh, my identity was shaped by my friends, my lovers, uh, my mentors. So important to learn from them. I, I wish I was more eloquent. But, um, and yeah, I can imagine that in sort of a magical community, how important it is to, rather than sort of shun, to gently nudge in the right direction. Well, what you're talking about is communion. And that's literally a word that we associate with religion, but it's also, it's just community and union. And you had asked a question that both of us breezed past a little bit, uh, which was, do we have any, you know, places that have been safe spaces for magic? And I actually am thinking about when I really, really started feeling like, oh, I'm a witch, I'm not just like, oh, I do tarot. I like crystals. I'm a witch. It was actually because I started 
really playing D and D. <laughs> and I started looking into, you know, the magical stuff in D&D. And then I was like, well, maybe I'll base my character's spirituality on like real world mythology. And I started researching it and I was like, this just feels like real. And I don't mean the fantasy aspect that is, you know, the books of D&D and, and the lore that's been created by Gary Gygax. I mean, when I was searching my own homebrew info, I was like, oh, I'm making this fantasy character because I don't feel like I get to be this person, but I could just be this person. I fucking love D&D and I've <laughs> never played because I am the type of person that waits for an invitation, which could be a detriment, I think. Um, you know... Uh, my husband and I always talk about like it could be kind of fun to play D and D. Like we're creative people with imaginations, uh, and it'd be fun. And I feel like thinking about the queer community, like there are queer uh, communities that I really wanted desperately to be a part of. I'm thinking of the radical fairies, you know, the gay men who go and run around the woods naked and explore spirituality and sexuality and nature and all of that. And I was always sort of waiting for that invitation um, and and never received it. Um, I'm excited. We're starting to connect with a few radical fairies up here. And it's the community is definitely different from what I remember, you know, 15 years ago when I was coming out, but I would love to connect with it. And I think that speaks also to the importance of inclusivity is you never know like who's waiting on the sidelines, who doesn't have the self-confidence to ask, Hey, I want to be part of this or, Hey, I'm really excited. I'm going to sort of join in and is waiting for that invitation into that community. And, um, yeah, it just I think sort of speaks the importance of communion and and inclusivity and and open arms. You know, Turner, you asked like, "Oh, hey, I'm a baby witch. Tell me how do I create some sort of safe place for magic to happen?" And we're doing that right now. Like that's what we're doing. And I think it's so important to just notice that we've already arrived at the destination we think we're trying to travel to. We're like here experiencing it. And I mean, beyond the here and now, I mean, like you two are saying, I mean, finding a community that's adjacent, right? Like arts communities are very inclusive, inclusive of magic and so are like somatics communities. I mean, I feel like my previous forays into midwifery and circus were, I mean, sometimes explicitly magical. And I felt like my life in social work was implicitly and could have benefited from more explicit magic. Um, but yeah, I just think it's incredibly interesting that we're doing exactly what we're talking about, right? This like meta noticing. And I'm also a big fan of making the community that you need. Like this podcast was began because we wanted to connect with other people. And I noticed that often that like, where, where do I belong can go to a place of despondency. Like I can't find the people that I need. And I'm like, well then make it right. If you build it, they will party and then they will come. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I don't know how many of my clients are like, I listen to your podcast and I wish there was a witch community where I'm at, but I don't know where to find them. I want to have witch friends. How do I find them? And I'm like, how do I set you all up together? How do I <laughs> connect all you individuals who are like, talk to me? 
So I don't know. There's a seed there that I'm planting. Also, the next time there is a D&D campaign, I will let you know. Um, also, hello, any witches who are DMs. We need you. Please hit the DMs. Um, and finally, hear me out. Radical bear ease. <laughs> Callie's one of one of her biggest talents is naming shit. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. I wanted to I wanted to touch like f- kind of full circle this. You know, we're talking about like finding community and that does come right back down to coming out, right? You sort of have to wave that flag if you want anyone to see it. And so, you know, as we talk about as we encourage other people to try to go out and find their community, I'm aware that that is a process and it takes a lot of time. Mm-hmm. So what do you think supports that process, either coming out as gay, coming out as a witch, any sort of transformative process? What do you think? I think a lot of it comes to feeling safe and feeling safety. God, there's a quote, I mean, to bring it to mental health, there's a quote that I'm thinking of and I'm totally going to... Um, mash it up but it was one that I think about a lot and the term like the importance of safety to the development of a child of of neural development and um god I mean I can speak on this I mean yeah yeah, I mean this is all relating to attachment theory so children's brains don't develop if they are not receiving things like face-to-face contact if their caregivers aren't responding to their cues in a timely fashion I mean there's even been these, actually, I mean, content warning this is a little sad. Um, there's a famous study of Russian orphans that died in an orphanage because they weren't being touched, right? right? They weren't getting contact. So, yeah, kids need all of those pro-social activities in order to develop their brains. Yeah. So I think, I mean, that that's really why I didn't come out for 10 years is I didn't feel safe um, for many, many reasons. And... You know, it's, I mean, it's interesting you you said fly the flag and um, my sweet mom is, who's a quilter, is has made us two pride flags, quilted pride flags, which is just adorable. And I think about the importance of the pride flag and how as I was coming out as a gay man, anytime I saw that, I knew that's a place I can go. That's a place that's safe. I remember the first time I went to the Castro as a gay man, out gay man, and seeing these giant flags and just feeling so fucking excited. Um, and then I think of seeing places that I don't consider safe places putting up a pride flag because it's the socially acceptable thing to do and how angry that makes me, but that's a whole other conversation. And so I think, yeah, for those of us who are confident in our queerness, who are confident in our witchcraft or magical uh, magical practice, it's really important to try and find a way to communicate to others that, like, we're allies, we're safe people, like, come hang out with us, you know, and and figuring out that process. I think that's why your podcast is so important, right? I mean, that's my, like witchcraft development is fucking podcasts. Like half of the podcasts I subscribe to are magical or tarot or folk magic or this, that, or the other thing. Um, you know, when I was coming out as a gay man, going online, Tumblr, you know, social media apps, 
gay.com for those ancient gays out there who remember that manhunt.net. I'm curious if anyone remembers manhunt.net. I know my husband does. Bear 411, that's another one. So these sort of online communities where you you can't connect in person but you can connect on the internet and then that helps you find find your voice, find your footing, get your head straight. Or a little crooked. I was about to say queerly forward. Uh, (laughs) You said something that I think is so important to emphasize, which is that, you know, a lot of it comes down to safety. And safety for some is literally physical safety, um, being able to survive. And safety for others is, you know, having a support system, maintaining your relationships. And you know, a really important thing to acknowledge is that coming out in any capacity, whether it's about orientation or spirituality, you might lose relationships. 100%. And that can be a painful process. I have certainly lost relationships that hurt. And now with being the old man that I am, I look back and I'm thankful that they're no longer in my life because, well, fuck them. Uh-huh. A, um, B, like, fuck them. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just not, it's, uh, we're on this planet for, we're in this dimension for such a short time. Mm-hmm. Um, it can, it can be really hard and it can be really painful um, to, to lose those relationships, but it's, it's for the best. Absolutely. And I think, that the threefold law shows up in the in a beautiful way here, which is that, you know, for everything we lose that's so hard, we gain so much. I mean, whether that's freedom or like even right now sitting around a table, we would not be here if all three of us weren't out as queer and out as witches. And that's beautiful. This is the most beautiful afternoon I could imagine on a July afternoon with someone I love so much and somebody I'm just starting to love so much. And they're like these beautiful flowers you picked for us and the tea you guys brewed for us. And it would not have been this way without all the losses. And that's not to say that when you're going through them, it's like, you know what, silver lining, none of that. Yeah, I I really don't want to be flippant about the loss of those relationships. Yeah. Because it's, it's a grief. It's real. Absolutely. Um, and it's a grieving process. But also, it's a growth process, too. And growth is hard. Growth can be painful as well. And, yeah, I think I'm at a point in my life now, thankfully, where I have the ability to build the community that I want. And one of the reasons why we have this farm is to build community. You know, we're not these crazy preppers who are like, the world is ending, we're going to go into a bunker. In order to be resilient, you have to have community. You can't do it all yourself, whether it's growing your own food or finding mental stability. It takes a community. And so um, we are so excited about creating a space to responsibly build community. Well, I think that is the most beautiful and perfect note that we could end on. And we're just so pleased that this, you know, 
planned singular episode really turned into two. Um, we are going to have more with Turner on Patreon as bonus content. Who knows what yet? Because this was supposed to be bonus content and it's just so damn good. It can't be. We can't keep this from everybody. That being said, if you like this, you'll fucking love the bonus content. Yes, and um, just another, you know, little prompt to get people to leave reviews because we just love the reviews and we also like reading them. So we do have a new review on Apple Podcast. It is from Dilfin. <laughs> D-I-L-F-I. Dilfin. This okay. It's five stars. says new listener. I just started listening and I'm glad I did. I haven't thought about all these things that in the past brought me so much joy and I'm glad to be pondering all things with you once again. It was recommended by a friend, thank you friend, to share with my niece and now all and now finds herself interested in these ideas and I gave a listen and I'm glad I did. Hopefully I continue with my journey. I hope you continue with your journey too. Thank you for finding us and connecting with us and I love that people are recommending our podcast to their friends. It's such a like... uh, like, uh, I feel like an organic farmer, but of podcasts. Organic thought farming. Oh, it sounds creepy. It's some Jeff Bezos shit. Organic T-H-O-T farming. Oh! Oh! You know the backup name for this podcast was Deep Thoughts. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, brooms up, witches. Boom Boom roasted. <laughs> One final note before this episode is closed out. We have a little memo, a little voice memo from Turner. I invited him to send us a little a little goodbye because when we finished recording, there was just this sense of, I don't know, needing containment or needing to say something, something final, right? Some final wish. So here is a little voice memo from Turner. Hey, Callie and Amber. Uh, I'm sitting here on the farm, taking a quiet moment, watching our sunflowers sort of dance in the wind and thinking about the conversation that we had. And I just wanted to take a moment and say thank you for coming and sitting with me and having that conversation and inviting me onto your podcast. Uh, It really was special. I think I sometimes can forget how I get to experience the magic of this land every day and to have you here and to see the magic through your eyes um, made it almost more real in a way. Uh, I was reflecting on our conversation about the safety of coming out, coming out queer, coming out spiritual, coming out as a witch and the importance for safe space. And I've realized through our conversation that this farm is not only a safe space for the queer little boy who needed safe space, but also safe space as a magical practitioner and a safe space to share magic with others. And I'm excited that we're gonna do that with your podcast. So thank you so much. I love both of you, and I can't wait to have you back again to flash our tits at the moon.